you know, we all have a have a long term goal. We want to make it in music and sell a million records so that maybe we can dig wells in Africa or save animals here or, you know, all these things we all in our, have our mind way down the road. However, because of me, it happened to be flipped. And I started doing that stuff first. And then the universe picks up on it. It follows you and it will work with you in a way that you have never experienced while you're trying to pad the path, the beaten path with everybody else. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and you are listening to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast. This is where we talk about making great music, about connecting with your audience, and about growing your business. And we cover so many aspects of that, and this episode is going to be mind-blowing. I learned so much myself on this episode that I know you guys are going to be blown away by what this guest has to share. But first, this is the day that we give away a one free month of the Female Musician Academy to someone who's given us an iTunes review. I'm really excited to be doing this. This is becoming such a valuable membership. We're doing this four-week jumpstart class. Today, in fact, as I record this, we are doing a Write a Great Bio workshop with Stacey Sherman. We've done workshops on booking. We've done courses on house concerts. We've got an amazing webinar coming up about Twitter with the Twitter rock star AJ Amex. Just so much going on, and I'm so happy to give this one-month membership away to the iTunes handle OliTunes Music. Their review says, leading-edge advice for female musicians. And here's the review. It says, I always look forward to Bree Noble's excellent podcast. As a female musician, the music promotion aspect is sometimes the hardest and most discouraging part of the music business. Bree presents leading-edge advice, tools, apps, and interviews, and the encouraging stories and interviews with other female musician entrepreneurs. The best podcast online for women in the music biz. Well, thank you, Ollie Tunes Music. That is an awesome review, and I am so happy to give you your one month of the Female Musician Academy. Please contact me at brie at femusician.com, and I will get you all set up. Now, without further ado, I want to get on to my valuable interview with Lisa Lin. Here's some information about her. Lisa Lin is a multi-instrumentalist and performer who's gained worldwide recognition for her original music featuring the Celtic harp. Lisa started as a street performer, reached number six on the Billboard charts, and has built her own recording label and studio, and has sold over one million albums. Her groundbreaking work in therapeutic music has gained recognition from NBC, CNN, and The Wall Street Journal. She speaks on the subject of implementing arts in healthcare and was recently named one of the top 50 inspiring women by LA Magazine. Here's my interview with Lisa Lin. 
So that's a little bit about Lisa Lynn. I want to ask you, Lisa, is there anything that's a little bit more personal you want to tell our listeners that maybe isn't in your bio? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, yeah, most people know me for doing folk music, world music based around the harp, which tends to be a gentle, you know, uh, style of music. However, my early times was I was a heavy metal bass player. And (laughs) most people are surprised to learn that about me. But I think it was a really invaluable experience and part of forming yourself, shaping yourself into music and gathering the strength you need for the long haul. That's that's really cool. I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How did you get started in music? Well, like many as a kid, I started young. I played guitar and just felt that magical thing happening with campfires and and learning songs when music was so great in the 70s. And eventually uh, went electric as a teenager, electric guitar. And uh, because there was not many girls in bands, very commonly, that was pre-Go-Go's, that was pre-everything, that I came up against resistance, actually, being a girl in a a guy's garage band, electric band, but there was a shortage of bass players. So I traded my guitar for a bass and I was in. (laughs) And then I ended up, uh, you know, going through all that in the teenage years and became a professional bass player in classic rock bands, cover bands, top 40 bands, which I supported myself that way over the next decade and a half as well. So now, what about Heart and the Runaways? I mean, there were some bands that's true. that were that female. That is true, yes. That was true at the time. Um, yes, and that was, of course, very inspirational as well. Yeah, but they were, like, groundbreaking, exactly. like you said. There wasn't a lot of, Perfect. especially female bass players. On the local level, it was pretty pretty new frontiers. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California, um, born and raised around Los Angeles and Orange County. And then uh, when I was in my 20s, I made the big leap up to Hollywood because I had saved all my money to go to Musicians Institute of Technology, where I studied bass more formally, even though I had been um, already a working bass player for many years prior to that. uh, I found that they were sort of catering to folks who hadn't had that real life experience. So there was a lot about how to gig in such, which I had already been doing. So my focus sort of changed to the harp around that time that I had I had discovered the harp at the Renaissance Fair and suddenly folded it right into my metal band and was figuring out tunes by playing along with Pink Floyd albums and just sort of came at it from another perspective and just folded it right into everything I was doing. So my rock bands always had an acoustic element. I played mandolin and, of course, was very inspired by Hart. So in this in this year of school, I realized there was a lot more magic and attention around this other kind of world harp music fusion that I was doing. So my um, focus changed to that. And it was still kind of progressive rock. But I realized then that the the rarity of that was something that was really gaining energy. Yeah, I love I love that's, you know, like a unique element that you don't see a lot. And I think that's that can be really cool. Exactly. And it was really authentic, which is the the lesson I've learned over and over all the decades. People respond to authenticity where I wasn't going out with a harp. Look at how cool this is. You know, sexy, heavy metal harp. It was like a private part of me that I enjoyed figuring out medieval chord changes at harp at home in my room privately and and it was something inside of me separate and 
when it was, when it did came out, it was really real and people really responded to that. I always kind of thought I would make it in rock as a bass player in a happening band and then eventually get to play and share my harp. But it turned out the other way around. As soon as I started sharing the harp, that gained its own uh, energy around it. Mm. So when did you kind of break out on your own and did you start playing like as a solo harpist or did you just start kind of creating your own group with, that focuses around um, the harp? It was really interesting. I, even though I hadn't planned on it, it was pretty entrepreneurial in the beginning. Because I was alone, I discovered the harp on my own. I wasn't under understanding or involved in the harp, quote, harp world or even how to do gigs with a harp or anything. I only knew that when I played my harp, people had a real emotional response to it. So I was gigging full time in my all-female biker band at military bases. But during the daytimes, I was figuring out that if I just looked in the newspaper, anytime there was something happening, they I could just call them up and they would allow me to come and play my harp. So I, I would just contact book authors that were doing their you know, presentation, any kind of crystal fair or uh, any kind of speaker coming, any kind of book club. I just basically would say, can I come and play my harp while, while people are gathering for your event? And the answer was always yes. So I came there with my cassettes, my homemade hand-painted cassettes and sold them <laughs> for $10 to everybody. So I could go out on any weekday afternoon with my harp to whatever that event was, the library or whatever, and be able to walk away with one or $200, <laughs> you know, back then that, that was a lot. And that was worth my time. That was, you know, half of a week's salary playing bass full time at night. So I, I wasn't intending <laughs> to be entrepreneurial in that way. It just made sense to me that wherever, where, where people were, I could go and something good would happen. I think that's really worth noting that that's something different with instrumental music versus vocal music is that you can go to events like that and people aren't as like bothered by you playing That's true. because you're not trying to like steal the spotlight. Like you can do your instrumental music. They can enjoy it while also maybe having a conversation exactly, or, right. you know, doing something else. Mm -hmm. And if, as long as you as an instrumentalist are okay with the idea that maybe your background music for a while that people are going to like pick up on that and start listening to it. And then you might be able to sell some CDs out of it. I mean, that's a great, actually. Yes. In fact, I would a great thing. Uh -huh. In fact, I would um, say that to the people that I am only there to enhance the existing mm. atmosphere. And that's all I need. That makes them more comfortable. And, and now, even now, as I do work in healthcare and hospitals as well, the key word is non-intrusive enhancing so that they will feel like, this will be an asset to their event. And people still notice, even if it's for five seconds between a conversation, and they will come over and purchase it because they liked the feeling that they had mm. during that conversation with your music going on in the background or wished mm. they could hear it better and that's the way to hear it better. Oh my gosh, that is really, really smart. I mean, and like you said, like I said, it's it's something that, that vocalists can't really do. Mm -hmm. And so you've got your own little niche there. Sure. Kind of. And I think there's a niche for everybody, including vocalists, too. And, and we can get to that a little bit later on as we go. But it is about reinventing what you present. And whatever it is you do, there is a way for you to share it in a way that works for whatever situation there is. So do you consider yourself a full-time musician? Are you making all of your money from music? And if not, 
are you making money from another other music related things or do you have a totally other job? I have never done anything but music. Oh, wow. I was a cocktail waitress for a little bit in my 20s <laughs> while I was street performing on Venice Beach, but then street performing really took over and I essentially never stopped street performing for the last two decades. I'm doing street performing in much more exclusive, elusive, wonderful ways now where I'm expected at places and they make space for me and such. But I really came up without ever giving myself another option. And because I sort of was grabbed up as a rare bass player early on with cover bands, I never had to look back. And so I've always made my money doing that. And it's always been quite lucrative. I've sold a million albums over the last, because it took me 20 years, and I've sold over a million albums, and I make between seventy dollars and $100,000 a year only from music and all the multiple streams from it. And I've never ha- had a day job, but I consider I show up for myself at my desk every day as my day job. <laughs> wow, that is so inspiring. Oh my yeah. goodness. Well, since you mentioned it, I love to discuss these streams of income that you have. Sure. Um, you know, what what percentage comes from your live performing? What comes from selling CDs and what comes from maybe licensing or, you know, writing for other people? Sure. Um, I would say the majority comes from live performing and live performing. I could categorize into four different categories. Um, One of them is I play at a lot of festivals, but I avoid the stages at festivals and instead buy a booth space. And in the booth space, I create a magical vibe. And a booth isn't necessarily a booth. It just means the festival allows you to come in and have a space and they trade it to you in exchange for you providing music. And you are allowed to sell your CDs, which is the most income, you know, where you make your income. So for the last, I don't know, almost 20 years, I have been doing that almost full time. And it had been so lucrative that I would be flying all over the country with two or three people, bringing stuff, having a table worker, bringing a food player, um, and just setting up shop in these giant festivals, mostly on the East Coast. So I'd be flying back and forth every weekend from West Coast to East Coast to do these massive festivals where people would just literally line up to buy CDs all day long. And there are certainly sweet spots in the country, certain regions where people may not have been exposed to the kind of music that I was doing. And so it was very, very lucrative, hence being able to eventually sell a million albums because I was so hardcore. Now, the changes in technology has dramatically, and of course, many musicians jumped on the bandwagon. So every festival I'd go to, there'd be four or five (laughs) guitarists, saxophone, piano, new age piano booths all set up. And... CDs, uh, the technology changed, as you well know, and CDs have sort of dropped in view of the public in favor of streaming and iTunes and all that stuff. So that has subsided. All the other musicians are gone. I still do probably a dozen of the best festivals a year still on the East Coast and still do very well because there's enough to still make it happen. So that's the way I have been doing it over the last couple of years. The other part of that is concert tours, which I've been on the Wyndham Hill label for a lot of years. So every Christmas, as you know, they do the winter solstice. So I'm able to play some really beautiful performing arts centers. Um, And then I do my own touring, which is totally self-produced. Myself and my husband have a duo, and we also work with a famous storyteller named Patrick Ball doing this really wonderful theatrical music show. And we get anchor dates from performing arts centers, and then we create whole tours with satellite dates where we ourselves 
create the venues even where there were not venues before. That means contacting churches, Unitarian. There's so many spaces, community centers, which may or may not have concerts before, which usually have someone who's interested in doing concerts. And I have gotten this so down to a science that I'm now writing a book specifically about how to succeed with self-produced concerts. Mm. And so, because there's a lot of presenters who don't know what to do, there's a lot of artists whose venues have run dry and they need to find each other, get together and know exactly what everyone needs to do. There's a big gapping hole in this subject that I'm filling it. And I'm about 75% through this book, which I'm really excited about. Oh, that is going to be awesome. Yeah. People are really going to find value in yeah, that. Yeah, I have a his hilarious cartoon artist too, really <laughs> doing it for me. We're doing like spinal tap acoustic music, you know, folk singers and such. It's really <laughs> hilarious. So concert tours uh, probably are about uh, a quarter to a third of my income. Festivals are now down to about a quarter to half of my income. Uh, I do workshops. I've collected 17 harps, which I offer to anybody to bring to their event, and I teach everyone to play. So although it started in schools and hospitals, it now spreads out to all different kinds of groups. So I get, they put on an event, I'm the event, I bring the harps, I do a concert, everybody play, gets to learn the harp afterwards. So that is a really unique, unusual niche that I do little tours on my own with maybe one or two weekends and all the dates filled in between. And it's lovely, it's empowering, it's wonderful, it empowers others. It takes the focus off me and onto them, which is another big thing I've learned over time too. So this is an interactive event that is new, and it, I think it's the new thing for musicians. You know, so we've all come up for going, oh, this is about me, this is what I'm doing, come see me, come and hear me. So even if you're a singer-songwriter, you might have more success if you shift that to learn how to express yourself. And you've got a presentation where people will come and hear your songs and then they get to either learn guitar, bring their poetry, you put their poetry to a song of chords, you teach them how to accompany themselves on something. Anything that gets it about them and to you and creates an interactive presentation is the thing that will propel you and your music because you bet they're going to buy your stuff afterwards and and to have new of an interactive empowering event as opposed to just come and see me what I do. Mm, yeah, I really like that idea. Yeah. Getting the audience involved. Exactly. You're going to have a lot more mm -hmm. success that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. What's what's in it for them? What are they going to take away? There's something they've always wanted to do. They know there's an artist inside them. They haven't found it. You are going to coax that out of them and bring them to your show. And your show is is basically some sort of interactive event, which includes your best songs as well. And you'll sell more playing less than you will just come and see me, you know. I, I agree. Because I when I was performing, I did more of a um, a talk that combines with music. And it was like my own personal story. So I was telling my story and then I would insert my songs within and there'd be a little bit of interaction with the audience. And I think that that was so much better than just getting up there and singing a bunch of songs. Absolutely. People can, because people were on a journey kind mm -hmm. of with me. People will make up their mind in one song or 30 seconds if they love your sound and they want it. It's real easy. And I found the most success is that I do this PowerPoint presentation of my story, the story of the harps, the story of the harps in the hospitals. It's an inspiring presentation. That's about a half an hour. 
I might play one or two songs in it at the most poignant part of the story. And, and I will do a nursing convention on a Tuesday afternoon. 400 nurses are gathered, right, to, to have this all day long teaching thing of which I am a half hour thing after lunch. And I get a big line at my table. You can sell $1,000 of CDs for playing one or two songs in a poignant story. And that is far more powerful than song, 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 song. Now, what made you think to approach people like nursing conventions? Like, what, how, how does that fit? Well, it goes back even a little further than that. And I was um, signed to Wyndham Hill. I had worked so hard and so long. I signed with Wyndham Hill because by then I had sold 100,000 CDs on myself, per- by myself performing at Venice Beach and shopping malls and malls. I found a niche <gasps> playing in malls around the country. So I was essentially on the road, street performing all over the country in order to get this much music sold. So I got a call from Wyndham Hill Records saying, is it true that you have sold that much music and on your own? And I said, yes. And they said, come to a meeting and bring your manufacturing records. <laughs> so I brought my manufacturing records, which was all they needed to see to sign me because they didn't care actually about the music so much as if I had sold that many records, there must be something going on. <laughs> so that's how I got my first uh, major deal. So I then got in the game on another level. I was touring, doing all the stuff, biting my nails and will your music get on the new age billboard charts. And it was it was kind of harsh. But coming from street performing, I always loved the idea that people were so close and they could connect with you and they were free to come and go and they would stay all day. And that was so meaningful to me. Suddenly I'm on these big, beautiful stages, which you is every person's dream and tour buses and all this stuff. And suddenly there was this big giant distance between the stage and the first row. You couldn't see them. They paid 40 bucks. You feel like you owe them. It's all shifted, you know, and not as comfortable. Um, and But I was doing it and I was really showing up and doing all the interviews, all the running around just to get that place on the new age, the charts, you know, and I could never get past 13. I was at 17, 18, 16, but Yanni and Enya and all those people were always hogging up the top 10. So the rest of us could (laughs) never get on it. Well, surprisingly, the record industry started kind of crashing. Labels were, you know, changing and shifting and, and Wyndham Hill got mushed into Sony and it was all kind of confusing what was what. And I was getting a little discouraged and right then was when the Columbine tragedy happened. You remember that was. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was shocking. I was shocked. I was glued to the TV like everyone. That's the worst thing we'd all seen in that at that time for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I got a call out of the blue from the Harp Center that said, guess what? One of the Columbine families just called us and they have your love and PCD. It's the only CD they're critically wounded high school daughter could fall asleep to and do you have more music and I was like oh my god you know I have this sort of meditation harp and flute cd and so I connected with the people they I I was touring in Colorado in a week and I connected with them to um, give them more music they invited me to come to the hospital the critical care unit where like eight or nine of the students were in critical care at Swedish Hospital in Littleton. So this was my first experience with music in hospitals, aside from visiting my grandma with my heart. And so this was big for me. I was nervous. It was still huge all over the news. What could I do? What could I offer? So I went into the critical care unit and I was nervous 
the families were there. They were all holding vigil for their students who were my uh, the girl that I had met. She had been shot three times in the back, paralyzed from the waist down. It was still really raw. I went there and I ended up spending the whole day, 10 hours or so. And it didn't matter that I was nervous and didn't have a plan. It, it was so flowing. I would just go in and play and then the family would talk and they'd cry and I'd play. And it was the most natural thing I'd ever done that was so powerful for me and so inspiring to me because I had never felt that useful before. I had been chasing my dream, rock and roll, billboard charts, just scrambling, you know, doing all this hustle, hustle stuff. And this to me trumped everything. The feeling I had of the importance of being a musician just, just rocked my world. I came back home. I was so inspired. I wanted to get her a harp because she was a musician also. And I thought the harp is the most forgiving beginner instrument ever. So I went on the chat group online, told my experience. Does anyone want to go in with me to get a harp for her? And I got bombarded by harpists all over the world donating. So we ended up surprising this sophomore at Columbine with a beautiful full-size Celtic harp with her name. And just, oh, oh, my it was gosh. so helpful. Wow. And so she... She was blown away, of course, and she was just starting to be able to sit up even, and the harp came at the perfect time. And I was so inspired by this that I realized it's not just about me promoting and playing my music for others. It's about empowering people, others, to make their own music. So as an experiment, I took my five harps at the time and brought them to my grandmother's rest home where little old ladies were barely awake. And I did a little show and I brought the harps and I and I thought I really had to coax them. Now it's your turn to play the harps. I have a harp for you. And man, they just jumped at the chance. That was so joyful. And they woke up and just jamming on the harps and and I just knew I was on to something so big that I could share my instruments and let others learn and show them how to play so I started writing letters and I'm still touring east coast festivals all the stuff but I thought I can do this once a month so I made a list of of hospitals and convalescent homes and women's shelters and drug rehab centers. And I just started methodically going down the list, writing a letter. This is my name. This is what I do. I have these harps. I have created an interesting interactive experience for your people. And the very first letter I wrote was City of Hope, which is a huge cancer center in LA. Mm-hmm. And they, I just landed right on the right social workers list uh, desk. And she said, I love this. Come in and talk to us. Next thing you know, it's not a one-time deal. It's a full program with funding, with grants. Suddenly, I was sucked into this other vortex of, of creating a program where we had concerts in the lobby. Everything I could think of, I could have because they had leftover money from a big art grant, wow. right? So it wow. was a dream for me. Anything I could think of could happen. And so what happened, my, my old training of of rock and roll heavy metal promotion kicked in and I started going to meetings, doctors, bringing my harp, sharing my story. I got it down to that perfect five minute elevator thing. This is what we're doing. We're having private, uh, we're having interactive music programs uh, in the lobby and, and we are having music in the hallways and music in the nurses stations and live instrumentalists. And, and so the gathering of forces came and I just got to experienced so much profound success on another level that I was suddenly having all these experiences of people who are long-term cancer patients 
hungry for expression and art. And I was just right there at the right time. And it was so successful that newspaper stores, uh, writers started coming to our events where doctors were coming down to play harps and music with patients. <laughs> this had never happened before. Meanwhile, I had um, switched to another label and I was due, due with another record. And I hadn't, I was so blown away by what I was getting fulfilled doing this other thing that I sort of blew off the record. I couldn't imagine running around all the record stores and radio stations again to try to get on the billboard charts. It suddenly faded away in its importance to me. What was important mm. now was implementing this program and, and how these wonderful opportunities to meet these brilliant people helping me do this vision. So I ended up, you know, writing a little record on the side, turning it in. It was just going to be for the patients as a gift because I was having so much wonderful experiences with them. Turned it in, didn't think anything of it. Went back to my program and the newspapers were coming. They were doing stories on the program, stories on me. I was invited to come speak on NBC News in the morning and do my whole little five-minute spiel with one song. And sure enough, that record came out coincidentally at the same time and went right to number six on the billboard chart uh. <laughs> without me doing any of that normal stuff. And a weird fluke in New York City retail sales charts, it went to number four between Metallica and 50 Cent. Oh I know. <laughs> and so here I was, I had done this whole other thing that I was so proud of. And my other thing that I was trying for, scratching along with everyone else, suddenly took off. So what I took away from that is the same advice I give to all musicians is that, you know, we all have a have a long term goal. We want to make it in music and sell a million records so that maybe we can dig wells in Africa or save animals here or, you know, all these things we all in our, have our mind way down the road. However, because of me, it happened to be flipped and I started doing that stuff first, and then the universe picks up on it. It follows you, and it will work with you in a way that you have never experienced while you're trying to pad the path, the beaten path with everybody else. So if you go ahead and reach out to do that dream, your music becomes the soundtrack to your mission, and people want to support a mission. And they will support you and your music. All is one entity. As long as you get clear on your mission and that mission has to be generous and thoughtful and authentic with what you really want to do. Because it's a new world. We've seen the old world go away, the way music industry used to work. There's no there's no people anymore. It's you and it's on you to recreate what is success for you. So what might have been success is having a million fans and selling a million records on some label where you get a tiny little crumb of the pie. Now you are the baker and the pie maker and you're making tarts and you're selling them and you're keeping 100% and you have an audience of 3,000 people that you really take care of or 5,000 people who feel that they connect with you personally and you end up making just as much or more abundance from that revised scenario than you would have scratching for a crumb of a contract that you may get shelved with anyways in the old world. So as long as you can embrace the new world, create an interactive experience, share your soul, connect with others, make yourself available for others, and clarify your mission that fulfills you in your soul, there's no way that you cannot be successful. Oh, you were totally speaking my language. <laughs> and 
what I love about these interviews is I've got this set of questions here and you just basically answered all my questions <laughs> and more in all of that. And I'm looking through these questions. Nope. She answered yeah. that. And she answered that. And it's great because it was all answered within the course of this amazing story that you just told. And I just, I love the takeaway from that. And it's what I tell artists all the time, you know, make your own, you know, make your own destiny. Like, know what your purpose is and what you really value in doing music mm -hmm. and go for that. You know, don't, don't try to just scrape away. Like you said, with the whole record label and, and, you know, trying to be a part of this machine, you can find your little niche, your little corner of the market, and you don't have to be a part of that big machine. Exactly. And it's far more fulfilling and with, and you in control, you making decisions, you shaping it as you wish, and therefore working for yourself, the direct beneficiary of all your efforts. And certainly you need to be diligent. I have lists for hours, days, months, years. I'm a total list, list freak, and I really am diligent every day with the tasks. And they're not always the fun ones, but the fact that you are the beneficiary and behind, underneath it all is that magic. I mean, you still have to have your magic when you play and you have to cultivate it if it's not quite there yet, because the combination of diligence, task tackling and magic are the only two things you need. You know, if you can inspire people one way or another through your music or through your mission, the universe is going to gather its forces and get right behind you and you will be let through. Mm, that is, that is a quotable right there. <laughs> I mean, the combination of diligence and magic that, that is where I think musicians slip up sometimes is that we're all in with the, the magic, mm -hmm. with the creativity, but the diligence falls by the wayside and then we wonder why we're not moving forward. Exactly. And uh, so many musicians say, oh, I just can't. It's not in my wiring and all this stuff. And that's okay, but you better be inspirational to someone else who will do it for you. Mm -hmm. And you better educate yourself on how it all works. Like even in the opening of my book, I say, if this just overwhelms you and you simply cannot do this, at least read this book and give it to somebody who you can trust and inspire to do it for you. People don't understand there's, you know, there's, um, you know, people can get school credits for, for being your intern. And there's definitely ways. There's super fans. There's family members. You can create. It's about the energy. And if you can't do it, you better inspire someone else to do it because it is all doable. And it's not as hard as you think once you get your templates and your systems in place. You know, it's not as hard as you think. It's so overwhelming. It's a, it's a skill. Ab absolutely. You know? That is what I work with artists on all the time mm -hmm. um, is that, you know, just getting those systems in place and and having these specific measurable goals in front of you and knowing how you're going to achieve them. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you're going to exactly. move forward. Exactly. And when you do do it, there's no feeling like it. Like I, I am a publicist for most of our concerts, even with Patrick Ball in the big theaters. I help the theaters who kind of are bumbly with the publicity. I'm like a hawk on all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And now it's like a, before it was overwhelming, but now it's like a game, man. I just love to put the chips on, sync the deal. I learned how to, get, <laughs> how to get picked out of the slew of press releases in order to get interviews, how to, the certain things that just work for writers. That's why I'm sharing it all in this book, because I want it to be easier for everyone else too. 
And the, the high likelihood is that I get more interviews and I get more sellouts because of it. Because once you get a mention, even a blurb in the paper, you'll sell out. And that's what you, so you need to really learn what works for everyone else. And once you do, you have your template and you can do it all the time. And it's just a, you're a couple clicks away from every press release you need for every gig. Mm, I love that. I cannot wait for your book to come out. Do you have any idea when it's um, going to happen? It's been, as it unfolds, of course, it took longer than I originally intended. I've been working on it almost a year. I'm doing it full time these last this last month, and I aim to have it available by by Christmas, and if not soon after, it's going to be both in. Um, e-form e and in paper form because I believe in charts and lists and all that stuff is is good in paper form as well. So it'll be both and I will surely you'll be amongst the first to know when it is ready to because I think you're going to even people who aren't musicians are going to love these funny cartoons and every musician <laughs> can relate to the stuff that happens. You know, everything from accommodations to, you know, <laughs> misfires with a sound system and mistakes and it's just really real all my direct, oh my gosh. direct experience experience done in Charlie Brown cartoons kind of. How funny. I love that. Yeah. So other than the book, what is your most recent musical project that you're working on right now? Um, the most recent musical project is mostly it's, it's touring. I'm just setting up tours for next year. Myself, my husband, we work as a duo playing a whole bunch of unique instruments. We have some really wonderful stories and show in the show and really, really special. I'm definitely overdue for a new album. I've always got five or six songs on the on the back burner, ready to go as soon as the schedule opens up. But we've been so busy touring and selling albums that um, all these new ways that I've found are really coming to fruition now. So I've got about 17 albums and just selling those is, is enough of a, of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, you've got enough on your plate. <laughs> the faucet, you can turn on for music anytime, but it really just makes sense to understand how you're going to how you're going to sell the music once, once you've made it, you know? Okay. So my favorite thing that you just said was I'm so busy touring and selling albums. I don't have time to make my new <laughs> yeah. album. I mean, that is like, that's when you know you are in the zone. Exactly. Yep. And, and CDs are still, we might've seen a drop in online CD sales. And I used to have a huge online mail order business. I was shipping out stacks of CDs daily that has come to a dribble. However, with concerts, people still are very actively interested in buying CDs even people that don't have CD players anymore. Why? Because they want to be your patron and they want to exchange, have an exchange with you. And I always tell artists, man, you better be at your table with a smile on your face, grateful for every person that walks up and give them something, something, you know, every single time, some juice, some connection, some appreciation, because CD sales are still half of our income on tours. We play a 150 seat church, make two grand at the door and and double it with sales of CDs because people just love to connect. And we are out there before intermission and after the show, just ready to talk to them and hear their story and, and, and do it. So CD sales are still very much alive for concert venues, big and small. Absolutely. I hear that all the time from artists. Yeah. So, wow, you've had so much great stuff to share. And what I love about this is I, you know, I scheduled an interview thinking it'll be great to talk to an instrumentalist. You know, I, I see that you're doing so many shows and I knew you'd have a different perspective, but I had no idea <laughs> about all this other stuff that you're right. doing with the book and the whole story about Columbine. It's just so great to 
to be surprised and, and hear all this great stuff. Nice. But before we go, I wanted to ask you, do you have, other than the book that you're currently creating, is there a book that you would recommend um, to artists either for creativity, songwriting, music business, or even self-help development? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was, when I was first a, a younger person, I was kind of more into the spiritual and all those things. There was a couple books that affected me then. And as I would say, speaking to a, a younger a person earlier on the path, uh, anything that is about your soul is far more. There's pod, podcasts and blogs, wonderful things. CD Baby does a good podcast that I recommend to everyone. But Fun Your Soul, a book that I always loved was called Lit From Within. And it's a book about beauty, but for your soul, soul beauty. Um, and of course, I was into the secret and what the bleep and illusions and all that stuff earlier on. Anything that gets your soul ready for success, because I believe you don't get success unless your soul is ready. And if you get it before your soul is ready, that's the ones that crash and burn and lose it. Mm. Right. Currently, my favorite writers are Anne Lamott. I love her work because she is so about connection and the way that you understand people. And she's a little on the religious side. She's liberal, but she's she's just wonderful and so worth reading. And I also love Cheryl Strayed. She did a beautiful book called Tiny Little Things. Again, it's it's like an intense Dear Abby, like really intense. Mm. And it just, the more understanding and compassion that you can have for people, the more you're going to be successful with your music, especially if you're even a lyricist and a songwriter, the more that you can love people and feel for people and take care of your own soul, then you can take care of their soul. That's really what it's about. There's so much awesome music. There's beautiful this. You have to compete with streaming shows and binge TV and all these incredible other things that are out there. But if you have your soul intact, your message in place, your mission clear, you will become a magnet to your tribe and your tribe will step forward and they will be your super fans, your helpers, your tour support all the things, your advisors, all the things that um, you need. And Amanda Palmer does a great job of rallying those forces as well in a big way. So anything that she's put out is definitely worth a read. But it, again, it goes back to self-care and caring for the people that care for you and the connections that come from all of it is going to lift you to, to the place that you need to be in your authentic and your magic and you love people, <laughs> you know. Mm. It's such a great message. Mm -hmm. I'm all about that message yeah, as well. Yeah. So thank you so much sure. for spending time with me today. Can you tell people how to get in touch with you and how to find your sure. music? Sure. Um, my website is lisalynn.com and Lynn has an E at the end. So it's L-I-S-A-L-Y-N-N-E.com. However, I give more love to my Facebook page. Um, I have two. One is Lisa Lynn, but that's the one where they held now hold hostage you got to pay money to get your post seen so i use my personal facebook page which is lisa lynn franco l-i-s-a-l-y-n-n-e-f-r-a-n-c-o lisa lynn franco is my active facebook page you can also if you sign up for my newsletter i do a beautiful quarterly newsletter where i spend two days making it awesome and people love my newsletters <laughs> so I get wow. a really high return on it people look forward to it I put videos and music and all the really carefully good stuff which is another thing I am recommending uh, in my book is how much love you give to that stuff and don't take those people's email for granted and shoot a bunch of small garbagey stuff all the time really make it rich and soulful and that's how you cultivate your those special fan base that you have so uh, my email list and my Facebook page is the best way to keep up with me. 
Awesome. Well, it sounds like your email list is, well, it is because I see That's it. Right. It's epic. It's <laughs> yeah, epic. It's and epic. so you guys need to go check that yeah. out and subscribe. Yeah. So thanks so much for spending time with me. It's been really great getting to know you and more of your story. And I just look forward to seeing what you do in the future and hopefully being able to see you live soon. Yeah, I would love that. I will certainly make an extra effort to that you are informed of anything that is near you. And are you in Napa? No, I'm actually in Oakhurst, okay. which is outside Yosemite. Okay, great. Anything in your direction, I'll make a special point to make sure you know about. So Awesome. That would great. be great. Well, I'm ex- Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I really admire what you do. It's a true service. And anything I can do for you, please let me know. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.